Hello and welcome to the seventh edition of Spotlight on Stories, a Clintonville Spotlight and Worthington Spotlight podcast. With Spotlight on Stories, our aim is to tell the stories of people in Clintonville, Worthington, and Central Ohio at large. We are recording in the heart of Clintonville at Combined Spaces. For our seventh episode, with possibly the biggest high school football rivalry in the area about to renew this week, I am excited to sit down with the sales broadcaster and newly minted minted Ohio State football PA announcer Tom Snyder and Watterson broadcaster Paul Barnes. Gentlemen, welcome aboard to Spotlight on Stories. It's great to be with you, Seth. Thank you. Well, thanks thanks for being here. Um, I just want to start out, we'll talk a little bit about the rivalry here. Watterson to sales certainly is pretty huge, and I've got something I want to read. Competitive zeal versus hatred. Where's the line? Especially with males and competitive moments, it's really hard. I think what kind of changes it to respect from hatred is you play in it and you realize that they make good plays too. It's probably more looking back on it, but you realize they're just like us. They just wear different colors. That was uh, Mike Rourke, Watterson Assistant Athletic Director. Uh, The quote he gave me from a story I wrote in 2018 for the Clintonville Spotlight, and I think that highlights everything, Tom, from... My goodness, this rivalry is just, it's hatred, it's respect, it's its everything we think about a huge rivalry. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I'm going on my 25th, this will be my 25th installment of being able to broadcast this DeSales-Waterson game, and it's my favorite game. Um, you mentioned possibly, I, I think it's one of the greatest rivalries in the entire state, um, not just Central Ohio. And I think there is a lot of respect. I, you know, that's the thing, in terms of hatred, I, I really don't have that in, in my belly there when it comes to Bishop Watterson, and uh, I, I am so thrilled to be a part of it, and I think there's a lot of respect involved. You know, not so much these days, but it, growing up, a lot of these kids played against each other, but with the current state of diocesan football, where it's just uh, fewer and fewer kids are playing high school or uh, middle school football, you don't. I, I you got almost got to train the kids when they come in. Like, hey, this is this is Bishop Watterson. This is DeSales. This is the tradition. This is the history. And uh, you got to get the kids to buy in a little bit. And Paul, when I wrote this story back in 2018, I read that quote from. I mean, you just keep coming back to Ohio State, Michigan. It really. I mean, we know that you, you and I know that as Ohio State alums, um, and certainly it's not on the grand scale of college football, but but here in Columbus, it means a lot. And and I know you know that as well. Oh, it sure does, Seth. And, you know, I grew up in Minnesota in my high school years, but coming back to Columbus quite frequently, I heard a lot of my friends talking about the DeSales-Waterson rivalry. And, yes, uh, you can say that there's no love lost between the schools on the outside, but there's an underlying deep respect, I think, from both schools for each other. And it's going to be great to see. Unlike you and Tom, I'm kind of a neophyte <laughs> at this rivalry. I, I you know, you can profess a lot better than I can about it. I'm newcomer to this rivalry, but uh, I'm very excited. I, I looked at this when I saw the schedule come out. I saw that very last game of the regular season, week ten, and I, man, I was very excited even back then in in July when I saw it. Well, and let's let's talk about that a little bit. It's the first year of the Bishop Watterson uh, Sports Network. Uh, you've called every game this year so far, and you have PouringPurple.com, Tom, and that's been around since. This is my 17th season. 17th season. Yeah, 2005 was the first year, and I wasn't actually involved in 2005. Uh, came back and got it going again in 2008. That's right. Our friend Scott Bacon, That's right? right. He, was, yep. he was involved, and now he's gone to warmer pastures down in Florida. Um, you, you talk about the idea that this is respect versus hatred. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to also go from this story as well. Seth Willoughby was an 07 graduate of Watterson. He played football. He was a kicker. I once saw him. You, Tom, you went to Westville South High School. Yeah. When it was still grass on a muddy night, Seth Willoughby kicked a 55-yard field goal at Westerville South, and it was one of the most amazing feats I've ever seen in person. Um, anyway, he he went on to play college baseball at Xavier, actually was drafted pretty highly by the Colorado Rockies. But here's an example of how deep the rivalry goes. Um, the sales alum, Thomas Gentilly, who graduated in 2009, um, they were adversaries from the start, and, and here's the funny thing: uh, they both went to um, they, they went to high school and feeder schools, St. Andrew and St. Paul, respectively. 
Uh, they went to Waterston to sales, and then Willoughby went to Xavier for baseball. Gentilly was a quarterback for the sales, but he went to University of Cincinnati for baseball. And so Seth Willoughby said this to me, Tom Gentilly has gone to every school that I've ever hated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that gets a little bit of it. I want to go through a little tale of the tape. Watterson leads the all-time series 38-29 with one tie. DeSales holds a 3-2 lead in the last five and a 7-3 lead in the last ten. In this century, Watterson has had a nine-game winning streak, but DeSales has had two five-game winning streaks. Um, they can't meet this year because they're in different divisions, but they have met seven times in the playoffs. Watterson is 5-2 and two in those games. Now, in the playoff era, DeSales has three state titles. Watterson has two. DeSales is a six-time state runner-up. Watterson is a three-time state runner-up. DeSales has 29 playoff appearances and Watterson 26. And DeSales has won 25 CCL titles, Central Catholic League. Watterson boasts 31 league titles, but that goes back even before uh, DeSales was playing football. Um, DeSales has, has completed nine undefeated regular seasons. Watterson, two. They're looking to have a third. And uh, I have the numbers on DeSales. They have 63 first-team Ohioans. And this series goes back to 1963. Uh, Tom, do you have anything to add to some of those numbers? Yeah, you look at the series. It's 38-29 to 29 with one tie in favor of Bishop Watterson. And really the difference, you mentioned the one nine-game winning streak from 2001 to 2006. There was another nine-game winning streak from 1969 to 1977. Coach Wiggins has brought the Stallions closest that they have been uh, in the series. And uh, last year, if DeSales would have won – it would have been the closest that it was in the entire series going back to 1972 when Watterson had an 8-1-1 to one to one advantage in the series. So uh, those two nine-game winning streaks for the Eagles really separates them in they the certainly series. Do. And again, tying back to Ohio State-Michigan, right. Michigan had all these years playing before Ohio State even started playing football. And, and some of that, what was it, 0-17 or something like that, Ohio State went against Michigan. Yeah. And so you, you tie in these two nine-game uh, winning streaks by Watterson, and that is the separator. Paul, he mentioned Ryan Wiggins. He's the DeSales coach. He's a 1997 graduate of DeSales. Uh, the year after he graduated, he went to Otterbein as a student, but he comes back and under Bob Jacoby, he's an assistant coach. But we know that for the first time ever, Watterson's led by an alum and Brian Kennedy. So now we have these last several years, two alums going up against each other in the biggest rivalry in the area, if not the state. Certainly, it only adds spice to the rivalry, I think. Brian Kennedy, as you mentioned, a 1992 graduate of Bishop Watterson, played his college football at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, and then came back to Columbus, started working. He's been with the program for 20 years. He started coaching the freshmen, and he's been there a long time. Uh, he was anointed the head coach seven years ago. This is the seventh season. So, yes, uh, he knows the rivalry in and out, and he would like to really beat DeSales. <laughs> of course, like DeSales would like to beat Watterson every year. It goes no without saying. And you go back to Wiggins. He took over the job, I believe, was it in 07? Uh, he had gone to Akron St. Vincent St. Mary for one year, and Bob Jacoby stepped aside and went to Hamilton Township. You bring Ryan back into the rivalry, and the young coach comes in and snaps that winning streak. Yeah, it gets on a nice run there because, uh, you know, Bob there at the end, uh, unfortunately, had was a part of that nine game. It was 01 to 06, and so he never got a chance to – to end that streak, it was Ryan that came in in 2007. It was a great game, and it's one of my favorite games that I've ever called, and I didn't do it as part of Pouring Purple. We were doing a Central That's Ohio right. High School football game of the week, myself and the aforementioned Scott Bacon, but it was a 13-6 to game. Yep. October uh, 5, 2007, Jeff Walsh broke a 34-yard run on fourth and one. It was the game's only touchdown. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it was in the entire stands were full – and the gates around were were packed with people. There was an estimated eight, nine thousand people. I don't, I forget where they actually landed, but it reminded me of the games when I first moved to Columbus from Michigan. My dad's a DeSales alum, and we would go to the games, and they were always at neutral sites, and they were just packed. I mean, you you'd be on the fence, and it's four or five deep. I, I think of the Centennial game in nineteen ninety four, ninety five. Um, two really good DeSales Watterson teams packed. Centennials packed. You, I mean, parking's a, a, atrocious. Uh, and that's what you get with these two teams when they come together. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Let's divert a little bit. Tom, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, you've already mentioned Pouring Purple and when it started. And I've known you actually since the the Otterbein run to a national championship in Division Three in basketball. That's when I met you and Scott Bacon. 
uh, you were still, I believe, students calling the action that year, and I was with Suburban News. Tell me a little bit about your broadcasting career and, and take us through kind of how you got to this point. Yeah, I started doing public address announcing um, a couple of years after I graduate, graduated from Westville South. I had some buddies that were coaching freshman football, and they said, you should do the games, and so I did. Um, I started at Columbus State. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I always loved sports and wanted to get into to broadcast journalism, but uh, I just didn't have that. Um, I, I wasn't. I was unsure. You know, unsure if I wanted to do that. And so I, I moved down to campus. I was living, and I had every intention of going to Ohio State. But they really they they tore apart their broadcast journalism department. And so I ended up at Otterbein, and I was also working full-time as a medical billing coordinator at Mount Carmel. So um, I was always doing public address announcing. I hadn't done much broadcasting until I got to Otterbein, and they had a great program. You could jump in as a freshman, and, you know, I was a 35-year-old freshman. I wasn't that old. <laughs> You're and, not uh, that old. No one knew how old I was. Thankfully, I didn't look that old, but uh, I got a lot of requests to get beer once they found out how old I was. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, I started to broadcast games, and I shifted away from doing public address announcing. And so I started doing a lot of baseball. I did some women's basketball. I wasn't fortunate enough because I was low on the, the totem pole there to do any games during the national championship run. But uh, that's how I really got my start doing broadcasting was at Otterbein's WOCC and WOBN. Okay. And then you you ended up leaving school, and, and you and Scott were there together at Otterbein calling those games together. I remember going to Capital Otterbein at Capital, and there you were, and, yeah. and I'd be at Otterbein, and you'd be there as well. You ended up, um, like like you said, I remember the one year, I think you did Grove City against the team. For, oh, oh Piqua, Brandon yeah, Sane. Yeah, Piqua, Brandon Sane. Yeah. yeah, the Brandon Sane game. You did that game, and you did a different team, a different two teams pretty much every week. And Paul and I know how tough that is. Last year, Paul and I did the Delaware County game of the week up in Delaware, and I'm telling you, getting a hold of two different coaches and trying to learn uh, a two deep for two different schools every week, that's tough. Yeah, it was tough, and, and that's the thing. We Scott and I did a Westerville High School football right. game of the week. We started on WOBN, and we went out, we got sponsors, we raised the money for it, and so every Friday night on this, I don't even know what, what the wattage was, you know, <laughs> WOBN, I, I mean, I lived two miles away. You could barely get it right. at my house where my parents lived. And uh, we got tired of, you know, not calling any playoff games. There was one year Westerville South had a really good team. They lost in the first round to Hilliard-Davidson. And so we decided, we decided to do some DeSales games. And so that's how it kind of uh, transpired with us doing DeSales games. So in 2004, we let some underclassmen do the Westerville High School football game of the week. And then we did DeSales exclusively. And then the following year, I moved out west to California. And Scott continued. And then they started pouring purple they did like a documentary behind the scenes. And then the Central Ohio game of the week, we did an 06, 07. We had a title sponsor. They gave us some money. We tried to blow that up. Kind of like what Storied Rivals mm-hmm. is doing right now. Uh, they just had better execution. And we carried probably too much about our social lives at that time. <laughs> and uh, we, we did that for a couple of years. And then I moved back full time to Columbus. And in 2008, I, we started pouring purple. And we did the same thing with a documentary. And uh, over the years, I get... You lose that hustle, and we started just to do the, the broadcast. Well, and Paul, you know, to shift just for a second to what we've done with Watterson this year, I mean, we had Ryan Rudzinski in the, in the uh, booth during halftime of one game, and, and he's, after we are done, he, he just said, why didn't you guys do this earlier? Yeah. Because he's like, my grandma would love to listen. <laughs> right. I mean, you think about this community around these schools, Watterson and DeSales, they go back before any of us in this room were ever born, and the, the the community goes far and wide. What's the farthest we've had someone listen to? I mean, Ireland, Ireland. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. And they let you know. And and so the community of the sales in Watterson. That's what that's what I really I knew we could do. Now I might want to correct that last statement. I had a buddy who lives in San Diego, big Navy guy. So uh-huh. that's why he loves Don Purcell, uh, Ted Carter's roommate from college, who's now going to be the Ohio State president coming in. He was actually in Vietnam this past week, and I think he tuned it in. Oh, so wow. maybe oh there you go. <laughs> there we go. So. Yeah, but that's the cool thing. I mean, I, we felt that when we started doing the games that, that first year, the playoff games alone in 03. It, just the response and the people were like, that's great. you know. And, and it led us to do it in 04 and continue with it because 
it's a proud community to sales and Watterson. They care a lot about football. We, you, are, you documented how well the traditions are, how great the traditions are, and, and you can feel that, and it's awesome. And, and, yeah, you open it up, say some of the games, and you've had quite few more than we did this year where it kind of gets, you know, the football becomes secondary and you're talking about the next week's opponent. Uh, it's always fun to kind of open it up and say, hey, send me an email. Where are you listening from? And you hear from people from all over the place. Yeah, we get a chance to talk about the families involved in the communities yes. of these schools, like guys that use or alums that own businesses now. We tie it back into the players currently and the lineage, and it's fantastic. And I'm still learning about that. But each school has a story to tell, and it's it goes on for generations. I know, and I'm looking at the roster, and I'll be darned, there's another Theato, <laughs> and there's a couple more Theatos. Like, what? I right. thought we were done with the Theatos, yeah, and yeah. here we go again. Keeps but going. Well, there's yeah. even names I reckon. There's a Mangini on Waterson. I mean, I remember the oh, Mangini's is there? over. Oh, yeah, is over there? Oh, okay, I didn't even know that. I did, I did know that, Seth. That's, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Seth knows all. That's, that's why yeah. we have him. Well, well no. his uh, Mangini's mom is a Waterson grad, and dad's a, a DeSales grad, so that... That's where the you time. can understand. Somebody that. won an argument or a yeah. Or well, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing. Well, you know, you're asking somebody to potentially leave the friends, and you mm-hmm. know, I, I mean, he grew up with a, a group of kids, and I understand that. Now, I want to get to kind of we're going to nerd out a little bit on the equipment type thing. Um, oh. but but you mentioned going out to California. You had a pretty cool gig out there with UCLA. Yeah, yeah. It was a public address announcer. Had an opportunity to do some broadcasting as well. Uh, with a buddy of mine, John Ramey, uh, kind of serve as his number two when we went on the road. But um, to be quite honest and candid, it, it came down to uh, a money thing and public address announcing. I also did the music. I had so much fun doing the music. You know, I had 85 different ways to tell you to sit down after a strikeout, you know. Um, <laughs> and that was UCLA fun. baseball. At UCLA baseball, yeah. And so I did that off and on uh, from 2006 to 2012. And uh, the back end, the last four years, I was living with a friend that um, his family that I went to Otterbein with. So it afforded me the opportunity to continue to do that. And I worked full time here and they kept my job. So I would go back and forth. But it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I couldn't turn on a game because of baseball. So good. Couldn't turn on a game even now without recognizing a guy that I, I got a chance to see to play in college. But. I'll be darned if the year after I, I left, they didn't win a national championship. And so <laughs> you I, should have have a a, yeah, I should have a ring here lying to you guys how I hit a walk-off home run in, <laughs> in, uh, in Omaha. But uh, what a great run that was. When I must admit, I would never change my life with my wife yeah. and, and my kids. But as as a married man, you were still single. I was a married man, and you, you and I would rub elbows when I would be covering the, the sales games. And, and I'm like, you're going out where? <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're you're calling these games from Jackie Robinson Field? What? And then, and then you'd tell me, like, I remember, was it Josh Rinicky or somebody like that would be traded to or from the Reds, and you're telling me all about him. And I'm like, ah. It was so fun. And that's it. Yeah, I did. that's the one thing. Like, everything that I've, I'm doing in my life now is because I, I chase those experiences. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm 46 years old, and I have a 15-month-old. I'm so tired right now, guys. Like, I, <laughs> people ask me. I, I also have a, a really cool new gig that I'm sure we'll get into. Like, do you get nervous before you you know, do these Ohio State games? I'm so tired. I I, I really I don't have time. Like, I'm I'm just. It's awesome. I love it. But uh, that's the one thing. I, I I've front loaded my life with experiences, and now I, I met this uh, awesome person. We have a child. We're married and house. All that stuff. But. Man, I wish I was 36. <laughs> 36 but, even. Yeah. Not even 26, but just 36. Yeah, 36. The, the energy that is required. All right, before we get to the Ohio State gig, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the equipment that you've used oh, man. to call these games. I remember you holding a flip phone yeah. with a speakerphone on, and you called games. You dialed into some number and called the games over a flip phone. I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, the my poor right side of my brain, the you know, the holding the phone up, <laughs> a mobile phone for three hours. But I was thinking about how there were times where I had no idea whether or not I was still connected. I remember. And I called an entire great second half of a DeSales-LaSalle game down in Cincinnati. And uh, I went down to the field afterwards, give a couple chest bumps. It was a great win. And uh, somebody came up to me and was like, were, did you broadcast the game? Like, what do you mean? Like, well, I, I had people contacting me and said, I don't, he, th- it's not live. And they, he, the guy said, well, I can see him up there and he's got the phone to his ear. <laughs> but yeah, it, and so it's definitely evolved to, um, you know, a laptop and using the Mixler app has been really great. But I've had to kind of dial it back down because there were times during COVID, specifically the Watterson game in 2020 playing out back, there's not a press box. Mm-hmm. So I had to, 
do a, an iPad, uh, a headset into an iPad and walk around with a wireless uh, hotspot behind me in a backpack. I, I had a top of a paper copy box that looked like I was walking around selling you know, hot dogs at a Reds game because I had all my papers up top. I, I look like a moron, but uh, I, I, it's definitely, uh, it, you know, graduated, you know, a few steps since the days of the cell phone of the year. Well, Paul, we go down to Harrison uh, this past weekend and, and they said, well, we don't have any f- internet up in that visitor's press box. And we're like, no, no, we're good. We've got a hot spot. But I mean, if you go to some of these rem- remote locations in the state of Ohio, yeah, you might not have a hot spot. I mean, it, it's an interesting situation. We've evolved so much in what we can do, but then there are still limitations sometimes. Yeah, Tom, Tom, I don't know if you remember this, but when you were ever broadcasting back, let's just say early 2000s, maybe late 90s, do you remember like splicing a reel-to-reel tape, like doing that sort of thing, or a mini-disc? I mean, going way back. Carts? Oh, yeah, mini-discs, definitely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'd never spliced anything, but I remember the very, it's almost like a, a very dumbed-down version of like Final Cut or iMovie where you're you're editing, and but I that was all on an, uh, the old uh, mini-discs. Yeah. I have a Absolutely. mini disc player. I still have. Mine. I don't, I don't right. want to get rid of it. I don't know how to. You know, if you if you throw that away, how would you even play anything? I mean, I still have an old Morantz tape recorder. Yeah, oh, wow. I go a little farther oh. back than you. I'm a little yeah. bit older than you, but uh, and yeah. So I was got really going in the early 1990s, really at, at college radio. But yeah, I remember the carts. We had to race the carts on the magnetic field. Uh, yep. That device they had. Oh. We had. Uh, splicing reel to reel to do our pregame show and get those edits out and then like i said uh, yeah i mean it was like archaic technology and it's come a long way hasn't it it has it has but you are at the mercy especially doing high school sports i mean there are times where uh, for example there's a team in the league st charles where the press box isn't that big and so going up top because their coaches are up there as never is not an option anymore and thankfully bishop hartley uh, allowed me to be on the top of the press box because they've got that video board and it takes up you know five seats and then they also have their own broadcast team and it's a big production so yeah there are times where you can have all the greatest equipment in the world but you've got to be able to be flexible you know playing some of these rural teams like you, you know your wi-fi signal is def- you know it's just devoid of a uh, good signal, signal. I, w- I was thankful friday night that the headset mics that we have have really long cords i literally was stepping we were in such a small booth and the window was back. I couldn't see inside the 40. Oh. So I literally stepped out onto the little porch on the outside of the press box and watched probably two-thirds of the game, Paul. I mean, it was it was interesting. Yeah. That's for sure, trying to get a good view. Let's go ahead and talk about Ohio State. We all in, in this room knew Bob Kennedy. He passed. He'd, he'd been the longtime PA announcer at Ohio State. And I remember sometime late spring, early summer, that Ohio State put out hey, we're looking for a new PA announcer. And lo and behold, I find out a few months later that my old buddy Tom Snyder is that guy. Tell us a little bit about that and what it's been like. It's been surreal. Um, It still doesn't feel real. I mean, I'm walking into the stadium about to work the game, and uh, I'm a lifelong Ohio State fan. My dad um, went to DeSales, grew up here in Columbus, moved to Michigan. We, We lived in Michigan. We were Buckeye fans up there. And so to think that I'm a small part of a game day in the horseshoe has been uh, you know, it's, I'm over the moon still. So yeah, they, I saw uh, a release that they were looking to replace Bob and, uh, Bob and I worked together with the Columbus all Americans. It's a summer baseball league that rented out Bill Davis stadium. And he actually got me my first job. I was doing, um, the PA because he had a conflict and he was working in radio. And then eventually I transitioned into doing the broadcast for the teams again, cell phone of the year, more, more of that. Um, so I, I submitted, uh, an audio resume and a resume thinking, ah, you know what? They're also looking for like, just to fill out the Rolodex because Bob did baseball. He did other sports and I wouldn't mind just being a a guy that they called maybe if they needed somebody on a Tuesday to do a baseball game. Cause I miss working in college baseball. And that was really, um, my, my, my interest was just to see if I could maybe do a baseball game here or there. And I, I got an email uh, several weeks later and said, uh, you're a finalist, come down to the stadium, this is the time. And I was shocked, to be honest with you, went down. There were six other people that were also finalists, and um, there were some pros. And I mean, the, the guy that did the Bengals, the guy that did the Browns. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I got no shot here. <laughs> but it actually made me super loose. Yeah. But still, my whole mindset was, I, I know this isn't just for football. 
again, I want to do maybe some baseball. I can't commit to a whole season. I coach tennis. I have a young daughter. You know, those Friday, Saturday, Sundays. I mean, Paul, you you worked in, in baseball. You know, that's that's not conducive to <laughs> having much family life there on the weekends. Um, so I, I I thought it went well, and then a couple of weeks later, I got the phone call, and they wanted me to be the next public address announcer. And you know, my wife my wife were on speakerphone, got emotional, so I got a mis- little misty eyed myself. And uh, like I said, it's a, it's really a dream to think that, you know, I'm a part of this because, again, going back to Ohio State, I moved on campus. I wanted to be a Buckeye. I never got that chance. Ended up at Otterbein. All my friends went to Ohio State, but I pursued broadcast journalism at Otterbein. So to think that I'm a part of this is uh, that I'm a, loosely a Buckeye has been awesome. Well, I remember walking into the stadium, and, and as we were talking before we went on the air, you know, I, I actually went through that Ohio State broadcast journalism program and uh, even beyond when they kind of shut that down a little bit, we, we've got some friends here in the area. Matt Andrews does a lot for Ohio State. We know Neil Sika has done crew games over the years. He's doing Ohio State hockey. And Jeff Sabota is at the Blue Jackets. So we'll hear our friends' voices. And, and my, even my son now, he's 12, he'll say, is that Matt? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so it's not unusual to hear a friend on the air or over a, a loudspeaker, but I walked into uh, the Western Kentucky game, and I was like, that's Tom. Uh-huh. So that's pretty cool. Paul, let, let's go ahead and get with you. Uh, you have grown up in Ohio and then moved to Minnesota. You went to undergrad at Minnesota. Talk a little bit about your roots in broadcasting. Well, it started my senior year in high school, uh, winter of 1991, December. So we had a, a girls' basketball team at Bloomington Jefferson High School in Bloomington, Minnesota, suburban Minneapolis. They were number one in the state. The parents were excited because the community access cable television station in Bloomington wanted us to do the games, you know, recorded. The AV department would record the game. One announcer, that was me. They selected me. They knew I loved sports. I had a passion for it. Uh, I played high school football there with Lane Kiffin, by the way. Oh, wow. Lane Kiffin was our quarterback. He was two years younger than me. He's class of 94. Uh, his dad was defensive coordinator for the Vikings at the time. Uh, that's just a little anecdote. But uh, they knew that uh, on the football team, I didn't play a whole lot, but I loved doing stats and, and doing some articles in the school paper. So they said, hey, come on out and do this. And I thought, okay. Uh, so I did it, and I fell in love with it. And then when I matriculated on to college at Minnesota, I was always a Buckeye fan, by the way, even going to Minnesota, because <laughs> Minnesota football wasn't a real big deal there. Uh, but I got involved in the student radio station really quickly there. And I did baseball the spring of 93. That was my freshman year, and it just grew from there. I became the sports director, then got more and more games. And Minnesota's a school in which it's not like a Syracuse or a Missouri or OU where people want to do broadcasting. So that benefited me. I got to call just about everything, football baseball, men's basketball, hockey on the campus station. And then I parlayed that into commercial radio doing like the secondary sports, women's volleyball, women's basketball, baseball as an undergrad. And another cool thing about going to Minnesota and Minneapolis, I got to work at professional sports, like in the TV trucks. You know, I get to be the graphics assist for baseball teams that came in on the road. NBA teams, I was the, you know, the stage manager, sat, sat courtside with all the great announcers and Got to meet some, like Ernie Harwell, worked with him. I mean, I mean, it goes on and on and on. I had a lot of opportunities in Minneapolis, and I took advantage of them. I loved it. And like Tom said, we had a – my front end of my life was all geared to having fun, doing sports, trying to parlay that into a career. And eventually, uh, you know, I decided, hey, I don't want to live in my mom's basement anymore. <laughs> Time to move to Columbus and get a real job. I had family here, so that's how I got here uh, in 2000. Now, the first time I met you, though, Big Ten – baseball tournament 1999 you're working professionally for minnesota calling their games yes and uh tommy listen to this this guy calls the minnesota game i'm i'm one level above him at the uh bill davis stadium press box getting ready for ohio state's game which was next all right it's the big 10 tournament this guy says and this one belongs to the golden Gophers. oh no <laughs> I, I pop, love it. I pop down the stairs. Uh, I'm standing there, hands on hips, waiting for this guy to go off the air to go to commercial. And I said, "You can't say that." <laughs> he did, <laughs> and he said, "Well, they don't know about that in Minnesota, right?" And I said, "You can't say that." Because <laughs> that's very authoritative to me. I'm like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> right? Because right. that's Marty Brenneman oh, for sure for the Reds. Right. And now look, it, it was it wasn't really tongue in cheek because I didn't know you yet. Right. But as I've gotten to know you, I know you love the Reds. You love broadcasting and, right. and so in my defense though i didn't have a signature ending call for the game and i think maybe the night before i'd heard the reds and they had won yeah. and or earlier in the week because i had come for the whole week 
And I just said it. And <laughs> lo and behold, the one time I say it, right, I get, this I get a right lecture here. from Seth Shaner. He, he comes can't wait down for you like to get air. Man, I felt like I got scolded. Right, absolutely. You can't say that. Uh, and you've gone on to do, uh, as you came back to Ohio, you did uh, Ohio State baseball professionally with, with Neil. Um, and, and you did uh, some Ohio State hockey, I believe, as well. Correct. Yeah. I did both. Uh, it was basically fill in for Herb Hallenstein doing mm-hmm. hockey, and later on for Neil when Neil had a commitment. I usually ran the board and announced the scores back in the station. And uh, at baseball, yeah, we did play by play. We had some fun times going out to. I remember '05. We went to that Oregon State regional. You know, St. John's was yeah. there. Oregon State. That's when Oregon State was first really getting good at baseball. They had like Jacoby Ellsbury there, Craig Hansen from St. John's, Ryan Zimmerman from Virginia was there. Um, so we, f- we had some great times. Now, when I came back to Ohio, that was kind of like a secondary thing, like more like a hobby-type mm-hmm. career. Uh, I worked f- full-time, and, yeah, it was but still a lot of fun, and I, I really enjoyed it. And then, so you and I are similar in this way because I did, I did Ohio State Broadcasting. I did one year of high school uh, play-by-play out in Springfield, thanks to uh, Marty Bannister for hooking me up with that gig. And then, and then I went into writing, and I kind of just went away from broadcasting for a long time. And then last year, you approached me with a, a chance to call some games. We got to go up and do the Delaware County Game of the Week. We alternated weeks. So we kind of only did, uh, well, you did five, six regular season games, and we went through the playoffs. Um, talk about that a little bit and how that kind of reinvigorated your zeal for, for calling games. Right. So it's kind of ironic that Tom is here, and Tom talks about Bob Kennedy, mm-hmm. how Bob got him into broadcasting. Well, for me, Bob got me back into broadcasting. Right. I'd been off the air since the Buckeyes left WOSU and went to 1460, their secondary sports like, you know, hockey, women's basketball, baseball. I'd been out of the business for over a decade almost. Mm-hmm. And, but hanging around guys like, you know, Jeff Swoboda, Neil, Matt Andrews, you, I kind of still had an ear to the ground as to what was going on. And Bob Kennedy actually called me uh, before last football season, so 2022. This was probably late July, and he's like, hey, unfortunately, I, I'm um, – with my health situation, I have some maladies that would prevent me from doing games this year. Would you be able to do some high school football play-by-play this year? And I said, I thought about it. I'm like, well, my wife's not going to go for that. She, you know, <laughs> yeah. my wife, if you know my wife, I love her to death. Um, and kind of like you, I, I, I met, I, I, like I said, I had some experiences in the front end of life. I got married kind of late, age 47. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I met my wife, Abby, probably a couple years before that, and, you know, I love my wife to death, She's, but she's got a strong personality. So <laughs> I was kind of like, hmm, well, I could kind of couch it to her like, okay, it'd only be every other week. It wouldn't be, <laughs> it wouldn't be every week. Um, so I, she, she went in for it. She said, okay, great. So I told Bob yes. And he's like, hey, you can get your, color, your own color analyst, by the way. And I'm thinking, okay, I know the perfect guy. Because Seth, if you know, he's an encyclopedia of high school sports, especially football. So he was my first call. He agreed to do it. Um, so, yeah, we got to do every other week. We did the even number of weeks. Blessed with perfect weather last year. It was a great opportunity. So I thank Bob Kennedy for getting me back into it, and we just had a blast. Yeah. And I just rediscovered the passion for sports again, being a broadcaster. Um, and, and the Friday Night Lights, it was something about it. And I thought, you know what would be cool is to do one team every week. And we talked about it. Um, at first, I was thinking, oh, Olentangy Berlin would be neat because it's a new school. I like the coaching staff. Mark Norrie's a great guy. We did three of their games last year. And Seth and I talked about it. I emailed their direct athletic director. They said, well, unfortunately, we just do the school district does this, you know, huddle or the, whatever the video is. We're not doing anything else. So I told Seth about that. And before the London or in London, Ohio, before the Springfield Olentangy Liberty region final, when it was like five degrees, we're sitting in the car kind of concocting ideas. Bishop Watterson came up, and we thought, what a, what a great school, because not just the tradition, but the community, it's unique, it's something they'd really go for, and not to mention the fact that the sales with you had it for a long time, so yeah. it's something I'm sure, I'm, I'm surprised that, frankly, that Watterson didn't have something like this before. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that they had somebody that was calling the games during COVID, I'm not really sure, but that that was such a, an odd year, you know, obviously, oh, yeah. for so many reasons, and I think that they they needed ways to broadcast the games because they were limiting right. the amount of people who could come in. Sure, sure. Yeah, but it is surprising. It's a great opportunity, you yeah. know, that it was right there for the taking. Yeah, it was, it's, and it's been great so far. I appreciate everything from the school, Doug Etkin, the athletic director, the Deacon Chris Campbell, the principal. The administration has been wonderful to work with. They've uh, been very, very helpful. The advertisers we have, of course, closely related to the school. The parents, the the fans, uh, nothing but good good words from them. So we appreciate that. It's been it's been a really good experience, and and 
We're heading down week 10, last week of the, the regular season. And of course, they'll be in the playoffs as well. Um, with that in mind, I'd like to talk about each team's respective seasons. Uh, Tom, if you go ahead and tell me a little bit about the sales. They're four and five going into this matchup. I talked to Coach Ryan Wiggins this morning. He, I mean, he highlighted it pretty well, though. I mean, they've got a lot in front of them, DeSales does. Obviously, if they could beat Watterson, they beat their rival. If they could beat Watterson, they share the league title. They're going to be in the playoffs, but a win certainly would catapult them a little bit more. And, of course, as we know, the sales has a history of, of you know, playing a tough schedule, going around 500 and then getting in the playoffs and making a run. So tell me a little bit, a little bit about this season and, and, and the ups and downs. Well, you kind of nailed it there, um, as there have been ups and downs this year for the Stallions. And to think that here we are, the sales is four and five. They had never been three and five. You had to go back to, well, they had been three and five, but the first time since 1974. So it's not a typical year. Now, they've had years where they got their five wins and they lost five in a row and, and made a run. And I'm thinking about the 2001 season where they lost their last five and then went all the way to the state championship. But it's been such a, a weird year. Uh, I mean, the ways that we've lost games, uh, I'm thinking particularly the Bishop Reedy game. You know, there were a number of plays here or there that could have gone the, uh, the either way. Uh, that would have changed the outcome. And that's you can make the same argument. Uh, I know you can probably on a broader s- spectrum about it, most football games, but you know, a play here or there in the Hamilton Baden game, we left seven points off the board. We missed two field goals and an extra point in a 10 6 game. Hamilton Baden's won 36 games in a row. Right. Bishop Hartley's having a great year. The player two away, we got a, they walked us off on a field goal at the end of the game. Uh, Reedy talked about that. Uh, 37 and 8 is the record of the teams combined that DeSales has lost to. Um, there's been a couple games, Dover and Walsh Jesuit, where they had really good offenses. We turned the ball over. They they grabbed the lead and just ran away with it. Um, so those two games set it aside. You know, this team's very close to being uh, right there at seven and two, and um, they're not. But everything you said, DeSales has an opportunity to still win a share of the CCL title has a chance to improve upon their seating, potentially with a win because Watterson's going to carry so many second-level points. If you if you win this game, now you're talking about potentially hosting a game because they're currently sitting at number 10 in the region. You could elevate up to that top eight, maybe as far as I saw, Joe Idol's got it, maybe up to all the way to four, I think, or four or five. So I, I looked at it last night, but it was late. Uh, so a great opportunity considering everything that has happened in, in the first uh, nine weeks. And, Paul, as we've seen Watterson's season unfold, we know that at the beginning of the season there were a lot of questions about several guys who had gone on to graduation. Certainly every high school, every 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 program deals with lost players to graduation, and you've got to you know fill in those gaps. But we saw since week one against, you know, an undermanned Whetstone team, certainly. But from that moment on, these underclassmen have stepped in and filled those gaps and it's just been the then the seniors and the real leaders that had already had some experience that have really been, you know, the linchpins going forward. From the outset of the season, the biggest question for Watterson was the offensive and defensive lines, not just in terms of filling in. Uh, the offensive line lost four starters last year. The defensive line lost three of the four starters, uh, but also building the depth in the lines. Uh, and that's been one of the biggest surprises to me this year is how well they've played. You know, Watterson's defensive line is undersized, but they're very fast. They're very athletic. Um, the offensive line, uh, one returning starter this year, kind of the same thing. They've had a little bit of trouble run blocking more in weeks five and six. They might have figured that out by now. Uh, but uh, the line play has been ex- just exceptional. They knew that they were deep at receiver, deep at running back, and then with A.J. Mackinich, the quarterback, coming back, his first full year as a starter, he got some really good experience last year, and his rocket right arm, uh, I, I think they knew they were set at quarterback in the skill position, but the line play was the key. Um, you know, They had to replace three guys in the secondary, but they had some good experience with the guys they had coming in, like Mark Biaggi, Tommy Haley, new starters, but guys that they knew they could count on. So that's been the deal, and it's uh, it's gone as the season's progressed. It seems to have gotten better and better in terms of uh, the plays of, of the lines. Well, and they have had some of those easier games, but they've played some teams. I mean, T- Tiffin Columbian beat them last year, very good this year. They're ranked high. Uh, Chardon, certainly, they've won two state titles this decade, and, and you look at some of the teams they've played, certainly – I wasn't there that night, but, I mean, a, a good Hartley team, and, and they, they just took it to them from the start. They really did. They had a little trouble running the ball that night, but they really did it. That night they seemed to have their passing game going. They kind of implemented this new 
wrinkle to the offense where they're going to even throw even more that night. It was a two by two receiver set, three by one most of the time, and AJ was just launching the ball. He threw for his season high, I think, two hundred ninety three yards that night, and things were working well in the passing game. Um, they kind of used the run as just like a. I'm showing you something here that night, uh, but since then the running game has come along, so I think uh, you want to be a little bit ball- better balanced as you head into the playoff season into your rival game for yeah, sure. Yeah, we talked last week yeah. about that. You know, it was 72 degrees at yeah, <laughs> right. down there, but you think about when it gets colder and things like that. You you want to be more balanced. You want to be able to run the ball, and and Watterson these last two weeks have, has done that. So uh, I, I guess uh, you know going into this game. Um, I want to bring up one point, and I in talking to Ryan Wiggins earlier, and I actually I talked to Rudy Kessinger, the Watterson kicker, last week or last night. Rudy was first team All State last year. Um, he started kicking as a sophomore. He's always been a soccer player. He hit one from sixty in warmups down there at Harrison on Friday night, and, and, and I know there's been a few things with with making field goals or having field goals blocked for DeSales this year. It could come down to something like that in this rivalry game, rivalry game Tom and. Oh boy! And boy, Watterson. I'm starting to sweat already. Last year, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, a 23-yard field goal attempt there in the waning moments, and it was blocked um, by Charlie Bernados, who got in there and blocked a field goal with the chance to take the lead late. So, I mean, I you know you, you think about it, there's plenty of high schools who figure out how to make do without a kicker, and and there's there's I've seen high schools that go seven and three to even undefeated without a good kicker, but in this game coming up on Friday, Watterson has a kicker. That's something we, I really wanted to emphasize today when we got to this part of the show, Seth, is that Watterson this year has done it in three phases. I think mm-hmm. the defense has been the most outstanding part of the team, led by Don Purcell, yes. the all-world middle linebacker. You know, they average, Their opponents average only like eight points a game right now. Uh, but the special teams have really been key. It's not just the kicker and the punter, but the kick coverage and the punt coverage units. You mentioned Rudy Kessinger, how strong his leg is, and he's pretty accurate, too. If you look at his numbers, it's something you'd be really impressed by. That is why he was All-State last year and is a Division One prospect this year. But how about Noah Thomas, the punter? Mm-hmm. His first season on the team, and he's become a weapon. You mentioned that Whetstone game. He kind of got off to an inauspicious beginning. His first punt was off the side of his foot for like 14 yards. That was the only time he punted that night. And since then, he's been nothing but a weapon. Remember the Padua game? He was probably the MVP that night, if you really want to get down to it. Mm-hmm. And in his last two games he at St. Charles, he kicks. he's a left-footed rugby-style punter, so that throws teams off a little. At St. Charles, he booted this 55-yard punt, high spiral in the air, turned over, kicked it at a perfect angle where it went out of bounds, no chance to return. That's a 55-yard net. Same thing kind of happened at Harrison with a 50-yard punt, no return. So it's not just the gross, it's the net. And that's why he's such a weapon. So, uh, yeah, for the special teams, the Eagles uh, really this year are strong. No doubt about it. Um, I guess, I don't know if we're, I'm going to force you to make predictions. Oh, boy. But this are we allowed a, to do that? No, game day, they don't let yeah, you Yeah, yeah, I'm not calling the You're game. You're calling the game. Yeah, you can't I'm not make allowed to do that, yeah. Uh, I guess what do you think, knowing what you know about this rivalry, what do you think about, you know, the way this game could unfold? Well, it's, it's, it's uh, always one up front. You know, and that's the thing. You, whoever's going to be the team that is more physical up front and able to establish themselves, um, I think, in the past has has been the team that has won. Now, um, Makinich is a is a difference maker in terms of his ability to make plays through the air. So that kind of negates that ability. Kind of what you were talking about against Bishop Hartley. You don't necessarily need to run the football as well when you got a weapon like that and the guys that he has at his disposal at the on the uh, on the perimeter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think if we can, you know, um, do some good things up front, we got a chance, but, uh, there's been so many games this year where we, we've, we shot ourselves in the foot, whether it's a turnover, uh, a missed field goal, uh, a play here or there, uh, giving up a big play. Um, yeah, we're going to have to play a really good game. I think one well, real quick, we've avoided this topic all day. Yeah. RJ day, the freshman, mm-hmm. the name day sounds familiar. He's Ryan day's son. He has eased into that job. He split time the first week, but pretty much since then, to my understanding, he's been the starter. It, it's interesting on a, on a list of starters of all, mostly seniors and juniors to see that quarterback position be a freshman. How's that been this year? Uh, it's, you know, early on um, he was. He was in a, a battle there with P.J. Knowles, who was the quarterback last year, and P.J. took over week five. Um, we had another guy there. Both those guys are still. So we have three guys that have taken snaps as, at the quarterback position. Um, RJ has gotten better each week. He hasn't been asked to do too much in certain games. Um, he had a really good sweet spot there, Wheeling Lindsley and Bishop Reedy, where 
he threw for uh, nearly 200 yards. And um, he's not asked to throw the football as much, um, but he's really gotten better uh, as the season has gotten longer. You know, it's it's one of those things where you have a young guy at the position and uh, you want him to let it rip, but at times it's like you can see that he, he's thinking a little bit too much in terms of he doesn't want to make a mistake because he does have uh, nine interceptions on the year. Now, a couple of those have come out of receiver's hands and into a defensive back's hands, um, so it's not all on him. But uh, this is probably more reflective of how DeSales has been relying upon the run, the fact that he's fifth all-time in passing yards mm-hmm. already through nine games, and he's had a game where he's only thrown for 30 yards. He platooned in week number one where they rotated series, and then he started week two and has been the starter throughout. When you mentioned up front, and I asked Ryan Wiggins about this because Watterson played a game against Chardon or Tiffin Columbian where Watterson's front four on defense averaged around 200 or less pounds. And the, the offensive line of one of those two teams, I'm blanking on which, both of them were really big, but one of those teams averaged almost 280 to 290. But that doesn't seem to matter. Ryan Wiggins said it doesn't matter because at this level, it's it's coaching and it's it's uh, you know hard play and things like that. You don't have to get carried away with the the size as much. So so what what are your thoughts on Waterson's edge in this game if they have one? Well, that's something I really wanted to emphasize was the Waterson way they approach games. They are so well coached. They prepare so well. They watch so much film. It's like half the time they almost anticipate what's coming. You know, when they're on defense, they anticipate what's coming before it even happens. I mean, they're lined up so well. It seems like they're always in position to make a play. And they've been fundamentally strong this year in that they've made those plays. Watterson's defense is not a real attacking or gambling-style defense. They're more about gap integrity, sound fundamentals. And I think that, uh, you know, if they continue to employ that, they'll be okay. Um, they, They stick to their game plan, which is impressive. A couple other things I wanted to mention about this game, you know, coming in, uh, as far as the, you know, I hear this all the time when you talk. I've asked people, like including you, um, I, since I'm new to this rivalry, you guys can speak with a lot more authority about this rivalry than I can. So I want to learn and find out. And I say, what does this really mean, this, this sales Waterson? And it's like, it might sound trite. It might sound cliche, even disingenuous when some people say about these rivalries that throw the records out. This is, this is what it's all about. It's a rivalry. Anything can happen. And if you look at last year, on paper, maybe Watterson had a pretty big advantage going in. Uh, but DeSales trailing 14-0 heading into the fourth quarter gave Watterson everything they wanted. The Eagles white-knuckled that victory with that blocked field goal. So anything can happen this year. You know it, uh, the factors could come into play. We talked about line play. You talked about up front. Yes. There's also, like, the block downfield that's either missed or made. You know, it could be a factor. The weather could be a factor. There's so many things that can happen in these rivalry games. So that's something that head coach Brian Kennedy also emphasized, and they're going to guard against, trying to not be complacent and really focus on their rival. And I think that the players are, are, are attuned to that. Well, in 2014, um, Watterson came in 1-7, and, and it goes to overtime. Yeah. You know, so you know, it goes both ways on that, hey, throw the records up. Yeah, and I think to your point last year, I mean, Watterson turned the football over five times. I mean, you can, yeah, you can make – four picks. Yeah, I mean, so that, that, that definitely evens it out a little bit too. I mean, you're taking care of the football, it's a, it's a variable that is uh, that can always turn up. You never know. But I, I, I've watched a little bit of Watterson uh, throughout the year. I watched him last night. Getting back to what you said about uh, the size, I mean, they, they are. They're very they're – very, um, they're very good up front. I mean, they're physical despite the their, their heights and weights, which you can definitely get lost in. Uh, they know what they're doing. They're very they're sound fun- fundamentally. And, uh, you know, I think back to the 2006 when we were calling the Central Ohio games, you can get lost in those heights and weights. I mean, think about what Hilliard Davidson, mm-hmm. Scott and I called those games in 06. Hilliard Davidson averaged out five, at 5'10 and a half, 190 pounds, and they won the Division One state championship. Hey, that was so, amazing. I mean, that, that is not always not a big factor. And, right. Seth, we talked to, after games, like I can remember Dublin, Scioto, Chardon, Padua, their offensive lines outweighed the Eagles often by average of 70, 75 pounds a man up front when the Eagles were on defense. And, you know, before the game, they would admit to me after the game was over that, hey, we saw these guys in warm-ups, and we're like thinking, what? Right. And then after the game's over, they're like, man, those guys are just ferocious. They're maniacs. <laughs> they're re- they ha- wreak havoc all the time. How do they do it? Well, and one more thing about what you said about uh, film study. I did a feature on uh, Dom Purcell this past month, and uh, I, cu- I-, I edited out part of his quote because he said, 
I study films so much, and he's listing all the times he studies films, and he said during class. <laughs> oh, but now, now you expose the secret Well, here. I did. I, so told, I told Coach Kennedy about that, and he just laughed. He chuckled. Because hey, maybe it was during study hall. Yeah, well, maybe yeah, so. Listen, some of those, we got masks, all school masks. Those periods are shortened. So, you know, there's probably not a lot of academic stuff that's going on you know, at times. So, yeah, you pull out the iPad or whatever, tablets. I don't know what they got over and, there. And but. I think. <laughs> Absolutely, we joke around about that, but I think, in all seriousness, that's a big reason why he's going to Navy. His 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 cerebral mind. I mean, you have to be well rounded, not just on the football field if you're going to play football there, but academically. And I think his his mind is always trying to gain more knowledge. And I think, and I've heard about him watching film. And I think one time his parents said, "You're you're doing too much. Put it down." that sort of thing, join the family for dinner or something like that. Well, we talk about technology differences yeah. in, in our ability to broadcast the game, but my goodness, it's not a reel-to-reel with Woody Hayes set up in his living room anymore. It, all these kids, right. even, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but even like Weststone, these kids get it sent to their their laptops or their tablets or their phones, and, and they're able to watch film anytime they want. Yeah, I mean, you walk through a study hall, and guys are just watching tape. Yeah. How about on the sideline nowadays? A lot of these high schools they have the big screen TV right there. They're yeah. watching the lo- their units, like the offensive uh-huh. lines, watching and uh, at the big video boards. Now we saw it Harrison this yeah, past week. Absolutely, it's, it's crazy the technology that the, that's gone on here and the improvements that have been made. Well, guys, we could do this all day, but I know you've got some things to get back to. So uh, I appreciate you both for being here. And if I could, one final comment. It's very nice to meet you, Tom. I've been a fan of yours, listening on uh, Pouring Purple, and one thing. Aside from your fact you call a really nice game, I love your voice. I'd kill to have your, your pipes. <laughs> oh, and, you. uh, and I am looking forward to hearing you at the stadium. This will be my first home game I'm going to this weekend. Against oh, great. State. I went to Indiana and Notre Dame on the road. But uh, obviously I'll miss Bob. It'll be kind of weird not hearing Bob because Bob was so close to, I think, all of us here. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to hearing your PA. And I think you're going to do great. And, and I've heard nothing but great things. I'm, I'm, it's really nice to meet you here. Well, you're only the third PA voice of my lifetime. Oh okay, yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, you hear stuff like that, you know, and and that's what, it, yeah, it just and, and some people, I mean, we're in tune to journalism and broadcasting and things like that. Yeah. Some people maybe just don't even notice as much, but, but we do. I've, I've yeah, always exactly. noticed. Yeah, exactly. Something fact, I do too. Those home games I didn't go to, I'd kind of put my ear up to the TV to try to like hear <laughs> hear the golden pipes of Tom Snyder. Oh uh, well, that's the thing. I you know when I was trying to prep for the job quickly. Um, I tried to pick up on some of the things that Bob would do because I, I'm more of a baseball guy. And sure. the last public address announcing gig that I had for football, we hosted an eighth grade game between St. Paul and St. Matt's in like 2016. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm still like learning how to do football. And so uh, I, I'm kind of learning on the job. But yeah, thank you for that. Uh, sure. And I, I, I'm, I'm excited. This is a fun weekend. We got DeSales Waterson, 69th installment, Penn State, Ohio State, a top 10 matchup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, know if, gonna, that. I know, I don't know if I'm going to have time for a Bed Bath & Beyond on Sunday. I don't know if there's enough time. <laughs> you, you go to the container store to oh. buy containers for your containers? Yes, absolutely. It's <laughs> a big <laughs> weekend. That's what happens when you get married, Tom. All right, well, again, we could go all day, but we're going to cut it short there. Uh, thanks to all of listened to Spotlight on Stories, recorded in the heart of Clintonville at Combined Spaces. Combined Spaces is a space and a place combined. Co-working, flex, hybrid, and multi-tenant office space management is available here, including the very podcast studio we are recording in. For more information about Combined Spaces, call 614-448-5144 or go to CombinedSpaces.com. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review, and do not hesitate to tell your friends and family about Spotlight on Stories. Thank you. Thank you.